Empathy is knowing our own dark Words have power. Like Without they that have connection, you don't have anything. What's the opposite of addiction? It's freedom. And here we are. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> Episode 52 of Finding Peaks, I believe. Wow. I nailed it. I know I got that right. It's number 52. For all the naysayers out there, I can count. Anyways, welcome back, everybody. Brandon Burns, Chief Executive Officer for Peaks Recovery Centers. Excited to be hosting again today uh, to talk about uh, a not often talked about topic, case management, joined by Chief Clinical Officer Jason Friesma. Might have some good things to say about it. And for all the viewers out there who have been emailing us you know, fervently at Finding Peaks at Finding Peaks at peaksrecovery.com. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I haven't done this in a while. Bear with us, team. Clint Nicholson's back I'm in back. the seat. He's been yeah. gone for like a month and a half. Yeah. Here Welcome back. Yeah. Chief Operating Officer for Peaks Recovery Centers. All here today to talk about all things case management. To fire off this topic, I remember once upon a time being a marketer for Peaks Recovery Centers and what that entailed at the time when we didn't have residential and detox programming is I would go into other facilities and market for Peaks. I would hand out brochures and I would say, these are the things that we do. And um, for all the viewers who you know, watch these episodes, you know I'm engaged in our vision of disrupting an industry. And uh, what I found disruptive to me at that time was instead of case management stating, hey, Peaks Recovery Centers in this example is the right center for you, they, what they would do was is they'd hand out four or five different brochures and say, here are these, tour these facilities, and you pick one. And for me, that was discouraging because it didn't feel there were, that there was any intentionality behind the case management, that it wasn't directional, and it wasn't uh, moving in the direction of, what the, of the curriculum of the residential program and what they had already done with the patient care at that time. So uh, ultimately... Uh, Peaks created a curriculum or a, a full continuum of care um, that allowed us to kind of move away from that and choose our own path in regards to case management and what we do with patient care. But um, it's, it's a challenging position. Uh, it's a challenging department within in, any organization within addiction treatment for a variety of different reasons, one of those being that you know, insurance companies aren't out to pay for this as a service. Uh, so it usually you know, falls down the, letter, the ladder of importance from medical to clinical programming to residential and to case management and so forth. So just hopeful after that winded introduction to talk a little bit more, more case management, how we can make it a bit more intentional, uh, but also to talk about the different features of what you know, treatment might look like beyond the levels of cares of you know, detox and residential programming. And I thought a fun place to start would be that occasionally, it doesn't matter that we believe somebody needs to go into a PHP program or to an IOP model or an outpatient model or receive medication management. Some people say, I don't want to do any of that. I'm just going to go into the rooms, you know, AA, NA, CA, and so forth as my path, um, you know, for recovery. So that, in a way, kind of um, removes the opportunity for case management to be effective because there's, no, there's nothing we can really advocate for or be intentional about. Um, I do want to advocate and be pro, you know, AA, NA. They're invaluable resources. Um, they're absolutely free to anybody out there who, you know, at times can't access care or just needs, you know, um, a good group of individuals to hang out with, maybe to, um, you know, avoid a relapse or whatever the case might be. But um, so an individual picks and chooses, say, 
Alcoholics Anonymous to go to, you know, as their aftercare plan, and just hopeful that we can review kind of the, um, the pros and cons of that decision, maybe as the only path of a case management uh, out of a residential programming. So I think starting with the pros is important. It's been around forever. I think this industry built, you know, its collective effort on the backs of the rooms in, the, in and of themselves, the big book in general. Um, so what are the positive aspects when somebody chooses and says, you know what, I'm not going to do all of this aftercare stuff that you guys have highlighted as an organization, but I am interested in AA and that's what I'm going to do. Um, immediately, we feel good about that and why. I'll start. I think, um, I think there's a variety of pros actually. A, uh, accessibility. Um, you don't have to wait or be on a waiting list or do an intake. You literally can walk into a meeting any hour of the day in any city, um, really around the world for the most part. And I think, um, so that accessibility, and then it's free yeah. uh, as well. Um, and then I do think some of the magic sauce that AA has uh, is the sense of community. And I think that part, um, that has kind of stood the, the test of time a little bit, is that the need for uh, community and the need to kind of connect with uh, other people. Um, yeah. So I took three pros. What do you got? Well, I'm, I'll piggyback because okay. you took Go all ahead. the good ones. Yeah. So, uh, well, I think that's that, why I went first. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'll go. I'll go first. Yeah. yeah. I think the sense of community is probably the key. Actually, um, it, you know, content of meetings is exactly the same everywhere you go, and that's actually kind of the point. Uh, besides the, the individual shares that happen in the rooms, the actual format of the meeting is the same, the contents of the meeting are generally the same, the messages are generally the same, they're all coming out of either the big book or the NA book, whatever, whatever the case may be. And so there's something about that predictability, which is also really important. It provides structure um, within a community as well. Um, and I think that you know the, the reality of the situation is uh, you get out of a residential program and you've only just gotten out of treatment, like, but your recovery actually starts as soon as you walk out the door. You know, that's when recovery actually starts. And you have uh, access to a very, uh, a lot of access actually, like Jason was saying, to a recovery community, which in the end is what you're gonna need to stay sober or, or sort of stay on the right path if you are struggling with mental health issues um, regardless. And it has uh, the unique feature, too, of course, right, of a sponsor, right? Not only do you have the group environment sure. where you create that community, uh, get that nice AA coffee in your hand, um, which is usually heavy with caffeine. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the rooms at, as it goes. And you have the sponsor, and the sponsor's guiding you through the steps, right? A person right. of accountability is created in your life that you can engage with, phone calls, texts, and so forth, right, uh, as a positive experience of that. and. Uh, I th so I think there's a lot operating, as you guys said, within like a community sense mm -hmm. of things, right? And I also think about the rooms in a big way around, you know, addiction in general, right? So we have the maladaptive behavior of drinking in the face of, you know, having an uh, emotional dysregulation, driving down the road, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, or um, issues with, you know, uh, spouse in that regard, I drink, you know? so. Uh, triggered drink, right? Triggered drink, right? Well, when you leave a residential model after 30 days, those triggers could be anywhere from 100 to 1,000, right. you know, triggers depending on the amount of time that you've been using drugs or alcohol in general. And so I think about the meetings as well, too, as like triggered, 
through the lens of neuroplasticity that I'm triggered now and I choose a meeting and I'm triggered yeah. and I reach out to my sponsor and I'm triggered and I do the meeting. And rinse, wash, repeat that over the course of a year or two now and the neuroplastic, you know, the plasticity of the brain then says, you know, trigger and we have this safe environment. And I think there's a lot of uh, value in that. Now, I said pros and cons. Mm -hmm. I want to be delicate here because this, this is a massive organization. These organizations are massive and so important. And can too. I throw out also, just because we do mental health as well, throw NAMI as far as meetings yeah. for people who are struggling with mental health as well, that there mm -hmm. are actually these community-based meetings. Mm -hmm. And we partner with NAMI yeah. and they do great work. But yeah. So, yeah, perfect. And yeah. so the cons aren't about what they're not doing because they do what they do and they're significant in the way that they do it. But if somebody picks that path, you know, say who has a history of trauma um, or who has a history of mental health um, and, you know, doesn't utilize maybe a therapist or something, uh, so now we're in the lens back in the lens of case management. Okay, trying to encourage somebody, yes, take all those things seriously, do those things. Those are, those are actually very uh, important aspects of aftercare. At the same time, what are we missing if we only go down that lane by not choosing an IOP program or seeing a therapist on the side and so forth? And I'm sure it'll vary. Would you like to go first so. again, Jason? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, so I can take the low-hanging yeah, food and exactly. you have to reach Please a little do. higher. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's a variety of things missing, and, and Clinton started to allude to it a little bit, but uh, um, at least in the anonymous communities, like it is difficult. Uh, there's a wide spectrum of views on mental health um, in that. Um, I've certainly known a lot of people who have left a treatment facility, meet a sponsor, and the sponsor's like, you can't be on any medication. Uh, that's all drugs, and you gotta come off of all of that. And that can kind of unravel uh, a lot of work and a lot of uh, um, effort on behalf of a, of a client uh, when they are attempting to get um, stable from a mental health issue. Um, you know, and like, uh, I, I think there tends to be this, uh, there can be a tendency uh, in AA to just view AA as the only cure for all uh, mental health type needs, and, and I, I don't think uh, that tends to be the case. I, I, and I see it happen, truthfully. Um, and I think, uh, so having good aftercare for psychiatric needs and that sort of thing, um, and then d dealing with depression or dealing with trauma, um, I think going through the steps, working a good fourth and fifth step, um, that can bring out some trauma. And if there isn't kind of a container or a way to process it, sometimes that needs some professional help, I would say. So just having that as an avenue, um, it certainly has worked for a lot of people, and I'm not uh, disparaging that in any way. Um, however, uh, the, I think it leaves a wide lane of things that aren't treated. Fair? Yeah. Fair. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that... Yeah, again, to be delicate, because you know, these 12-step programs have been around for so long and have helped so many people. Yeah. Um, I guess in my own experience, the, the primary difference between like a, a well-run IOP program and um, something like AA or NA or CA is typically the message of the, of the rooms is that the answer is AA, mm -hmm. the answer is NA, the answer is CA. And a good ILP program is going to reinforce the fact that actually the answer is you. Mm -hmm. Like you are the answer to your own problems. Like in the end, you're gonna have to come up with a lifestyle and with the skills and with the, 
and with the motivation to actually make the change that you need, and the program doesn't do that for you. And I think that there's a, a pretty, it's, and sometimes it's a subtle distinction, and sometimes it's pretty glaring yeah, as I far think as what the reliance if, is. If I can piggyback on what you said, I think, um, I think it, it can be stated too that, that like the anonymous programs, uh, not only is AA the, the solution, but it says I am the problem. Right. I am an alcoholic. I am an addict. And like, it's important to work through denial. That's a really important sure. thing to kind of walk through. But that statement and kind of having to really adhere to right. it says I am the problem. This meeting is the solution. Yeah, the and program your, is the solution. And yeah. to your point, I think going to an IOP program says the, here's the problem over here and you are the, the solution for the problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things, because I want to, uh, I, can, I can feel the room sort of boiling behind us <laughs> uh, as, as a metaphor here, but the, the, the one thing that I absolutely want to be charitable to the rooms about, too, and the frustrations, and, and if the public, the general public doesn't know this, there is a sort of tension between the rooms and treatment centers <laughs> in general. Um, why is that? I think to simply put it is because uh, this industry took the rooms and inserted it into uh, 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 group services and then build for the past 40, 50 years since insurance started covering behavioral health, billions of dollars on the backs of free programming. Yeah. And I just want to make that distinction, make that clear where this sort of tension arises, I think, between you know treatment centers and the rooms in general. And charitably to the rooms, like um, in my absolute opinion, that was completely inappropriate and yeah. uncalled for and well, unnecessary. And it goes as well against too. the 12 traditions of right. AA, that people right. are profiting from right. AA meetings. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Right. Literally against their bylaws. And, and, it, and yeah. it could have been something where there was actually like a marriage, where there was something that was very, um, where, uh, where each of those programs really could help to support each other, but mm -hmm. instead there was just this um, like sort of bastardization of, yep. of what the rooms actually offered mm -hmm. and, and done under this like sort of, I don't know, very thin clinical lens, which yeah. isn't, uh, which is something that, I mean, at, at, you know, at Peaks we've really moved away from very intentionally and I think good programs in general have done that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, we should do this collectively and together and then when the, a, when the rooms are doing their things and treatment centers are doing their things appropriately, IOP programs and so forth, there's a healthy marriage that's Absolutely. operating there. Yeah. Uh, but conflating the two and charging for something that is free, I think is inappropriate. And I just wanted to highlight that because um, of where this general tension when I say like, you know, mm -hmm. the rooms are boiling in the background about yeah. a treatment center talking in this way. Yeah. Um, I think it comes from that sort of arena. So, uh, so we've highlighted a moment where, we, where an individual says, I'm not doing any of the therapy stuff. I think we see, you know, where we can kind of improve upon the setting to have, you know, uh, to be doing the rooms, but also to be doing alternative things as well, too. Um, but, you know, with intentionality, right, Peaks has its own curriculum. You know, we've talked about it on past episodes here that this is one of the most fragmented sides of healthcare where everybody under their own philosophy can be doing their own curriculum that's different from the curriculum here, curriculum here, if there's even a curriculum over here. And for that reason, we have sort of them on their own sort of roller coaster trajectory here, right? And so we want to have some intentionality with what's working with them here into that next step. Mm -hmm. And uh, with that, uh, curious from your guys' clinical lens, 
Um, you know, what's important about that and sort of how do we get that uh, right? And also, what are we trying to actually do with the individual on selling them into these aftercare models, right? Because it's not, it's not for the sake of it, right? You know, the, mm -hmm. the brain still needs a ton of time to heal in the process, so we're not trying to do it for the sake of it. What, what are we trying to do here? Well, I think, I, th I do think um, we, are, we, we are professionalizing um, both the mental health treatment and then providing an opportunity for community. I think a good IOP program um, can emphasize both, uh, importantly, and really kind of helping people continue to build and form relationships and figure out how to navigate um, relationships uh, effectively is actually a really important skill um, to build a primary support group uh, in the long run. Um, while dealing with, uh, without judgment, uh, clear mental health issues as well. I think that, um, that part matters a ton, I think. Yeah, um, that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, segue, <laughs> awkward segue maybe. Right. Yeah. Um, I was dissociated. Okay, Sorry. Yeah. welcome back, Clinton. <laughs> no. Um, I lost you at mental I health. Think, okay. we, yeah. uh, I, for me, I think IOP is this opportunity for integration, right? It's, like when you're in residential, you get these intensive, long days of just heavy, deep um, insight work, right? So you're really gaining insight into who you are as an individual, why you do the things you do, why you've chosen the coping strategies you've chosen, how you can do those differently. You start getting introduced to different coping strategies and different ways in which to sort of uh, uh, respond to the world, right? Like trigger a drink. Oh, now it's. Now it's trigger, go work out, trigger, meditate. You know, you get this opportunity in a very safe and controlled environment to start practicing these new skills that you've learned after building all of these deep insights. But IOP is the first chance when you're actually in the real world and now you have to, you have to fully integrate the things that you've learned. And to do that, right, uh, to just send somebody on their way without any support afterwards is pretty irresponsible in a lot of ways because it, you just, it's like asking somebody to be a, a professional football player like, you know, 45 days after you taught them how to throw a football. You know, that doesn't make any sense. They, there's practice has to keep happening. And um, IOP is that opportunity to sort of practice in a, in a semi-controlled environment, but in real life circumstances, in a real life world. Yeah. yeah. And I love that too, because that, 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 that awareness we gain in residential programming, because also what we're combating too in residential programming nearly on a daily basis is like, I'm not actually sure I need to be here. Right. I'm not actually yeah. sure I have a problem. I mean, one of the major things we overcome within a 30-day model is ambivalence. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I share this with families all the time who come through, you know, peaks certainly, but sharing it with the families and the, you know, the viewers out there today is, you know, an individual comes in, even if we have a six-week curriculum over 45 days, and they cut that to 30 days, we're missing two weeks of a curriculum, now we have four weeks of a curriculum. Well, if detox took seven days, we missed that part of the curriculum. And now in the next two weeks, if we're exploring just ambivalence about being here, we're not taking seriously the curriculum. We're not, a, we're not only not downloading the tools, we're definitely not implementing them. And then we get one week of an actual curriculum, like, okay, I get it, I think I have a problem yeah. now, and I'm engaged <laughs> in this. And then we do no aftercare. And so the, you know, the thing that comes up out of that for me is, you know, people turn around and say, well, you know, something like peaks didn't work for me or this treatment center didn't work for me. Uh, you know, we don't get to open your, you know, the heads of the individuals, look at what the issue is and pluck it out of there. There's an application that has to take mm -hmm. place here um, from the settings that they're in and out into the real world. And I think there's at times that 
I don't know the right word here, maybe you guys can help me out here, but I think some you know, patients feel like that's there's sort of operating parentalism about like, you know what's best for me rather than what's, what is actually best for me and what's best for me is to do these sort of things. And so there's this you know, uh, you know, sort of tugboat feature back and forth between you know, the treatment center and the individual to really ensure that they get right what the actual issue is and then from a setting that is safe and secure that is nearly triggerless in a residential mm -hmm. environment, um, though we find ways to trigger people <laughs> all the time yeah. at Peaks Recovery. It could be our pillows, it could be the iPads, it could be whatever, but um, those aren't enough to get ahead of everything from an sure. application standpoint. Yeah. And I think we're getting to the essence of what the importance of case management is, right. is moving from an environment of safety and security, where we can get comfortable with each other to build enough rapport to state, hey, we need to apply these skills somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And it takes time. Yeah. And I do think, you know, it, I think it's pretty well accepted, and, and there are a lot of studies out there that the longer somebody is in some form of treatment, it doesn't have to be six months of residential care, but if, if people are getting um, clinical contact and contact with a with the community, even once a week, uh, at the back end of this, you know, if they can get to a year of doing that, like the uh, the statistics are actually quite, or significantly better for people mm -hmm. to remain sober for the long haul. And it just speaks to that, like you just need people asking you some of these questions or a, a place to say, I found a new trigger, or my dog right. ran away, or whatever it is that you have to begin to navigate um, in a new way. Um, those triggers. So, I think it, I. I can't emphasize it enough. Uh, we do a lot of magic, I think, in 45 days in our residential program, but it's really just the beginning right. of a journey. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you've, again, we have a stabilization model. Like, we've stabilized you. It's why you feel good. You yeah, know, yeah. like, that's why you have confidence. It's you're clear headed, you're, you're healthy, you're exercising, you're eating right, you're sleeping finally, you're on the right medication regimen, you've, you've landed in a place where you've built community, even if you've only been there 30 days, you've made connections that you feel, that have helped you feel safe, that have helped bring back a level of cert, a certain level of confidence, and as soon as you walk off that campus, all of it can disappear. Mm -hmm. you know? Like it is, it, it happens all the time. Right. And it's not because the program didn't do what it was supposed to. The program did exactly what it was supposed to. It's that the hard work happens as soon as you leave. You know, that's when the real work comes in. Because it, and that's what it is. It's actual work. Yeah. You know, it's every day staying focused, staying engaged, staying on top of, of your thoughts, like really building on all of that insight that you've gained over the last 45 days. And to try to do that alone or to try to do that in the exact same environment that you came from, it's, it's almost a, it's a near impossibility. And at the very least, it's just not fair. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to, for a client to do that to themselves. It's not fair for a family to have to go through that. It's, um, it, but at the same time, because people feel good, there is this sort of like, eh, aftercare. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't need it. And, and that ambivalence, that's mm -hmm. that last little bit of ambivalence that you get at the very end of the treatment episode, that's actually probably the most dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, never mind the, the, the neuro, you know, the plastic brain operating in the background, yeah. though it's feeling good and healthy in that moment from a stabilization standpoint. All of those wires are in place to when they experience trigger, right, right to trigger drugs. It's the, the brain is impulsive in that moment and going to pick what it's right. used to, even though there's some satiated period, right, in a way. And so, you know, the last bullet point here I think that I wanted to talk about and bring to everybody's attention, I think we've mentioned the Florida model of care. 
uh, in past treatment episodes, <laughs> or in past uh, Finding Peaks episodes, uh, charitably, charitable reading of the Florida model of care is to kind of uh, build a framework for what would be like an ideal campus. And on this campus, families or individuals in treatment can do, uh, can get their therapy here and they can walk across the campus, they can get a job, and then they can walk across the campus and do their meditation. They can walk across the campus, go into the rooms, those sort of things, but there is no real campus setting. And out of that, you get a sober living home. And the, uh, the business model is to bust that individual from the sober, right or wrong, from the sober living home to uh, the treatment center where they receive you know, partial hospitalization or IOP services in that regard. And then they can take them after those group services are rendered to the job environment to apply for the job, or they can take them to the meetings to build community and sponsorship and so forth. And so in its most cleanest ethical sense, it is, a really nice thing and I think what it really does control is because people get into these models and they th this is more of a residential setting I don't want this I don't need this right but I think the advantage of it and correct me if I'm wrong or if maybe there's better language for it is that it's containing that impulsivity uh, that when you get outside of treatment now if you are on this theoretical campus and you do your groups and you go into the rooms and you're triggered, well, the, you know, the, the bus picks you up at the end of the day, brings you back to the sober home, <coughs> and continue to have this you know, community and this support effort uh, all along the way versus if you're in just an intensive outpatient program, call it three days a week and it's a, uh, it's a Tuesday and there's no groups going on and you're triggered in that moment, uh, the impulsivity can flare up in any direction without that support structure, especially if we don't have the rooms as a backup or a belief that that's appropriate to go to or whatever the case is. Um, so that is an opportunity post, you know, detox, stabilization, residential models, um, and it does have efficacy, but, you know, the common complaint is that's too much structure when the structure is really doing something healthy there and it's containing that impulsivity and giving it more time to adapt itself to uh, the world in which it will be less triggered in. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a step-down model, right? right? It's this idea that things come in a sequence. There's a sort of order of operations to this process. And in the end, the underlying theme is it just takes time. Mm -hmm. Like, this, is, this does not happen overnight. You are literally rewiring the brain, and that will not happen in 45 days. It will not happen in 30 days. It will not happen in 90 days. It will not happen in 180 days. It takes time. And every, and every little bit of time that you can give yourself, any, any, any extra day or week or month that you can give yourself more structure and more support, like Jason spoke to earlier, the better chance you have of being successful. And yeah, it's a lot of structure in the beginning, but you're coming, most people, I don't care if it's, uh, if it's substance abuse or if it's mental health, uh, like severe acute mental health dis disorders, you're coming from a world of chaos. You know? So give yourself the time, like enjoy the structure, mm -hmm. lean into it. That is, that is gonna be so profoundly important in your long-term recovery. And to, to pull away from that is, is really counter to what the recovery process looks like. Yeah. Prisma, final words, final, yeah, I, final I, piggyback here. I mean, you guys have said a lot, and I, I just couldn't, I could not agree with, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And I do think, you know, I just think about how many, I was sitting here thinking about how many medical procedures have a similar format, whether sure. you, if you break your leg, you get a surgery and maybe a cast and then a lower cast and then a walking cast. Like, right. it's meant therapy, to be, yeah, and then all, it yeah, all yeah. is progressive and building on one another. 
And if you're going to get knee surgery, you might as well follow through with the physical therapy afterward too. Right. Like if you're yeah. going to, otherwise it was kind of almost pointless right. to get the or knee surgery. You're going to have surgery. to go back and get another knee surgery. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, it, you know, like there's a, there's a, just a lot of template for doing this. And it's interesting that, that we have to sell it so hard because it isn't as visible as like, you know, a scar on one's knee. Right. Yeah. But it is the same concept for sure. Yeah, and all the trade-offs along the way too. Families' intentions about what they think the patient should be going yeah. through and where the patient's actually at and what they're capable of is kind of a different narrative at times. So there's a lot of conflicts you yeah. know, throughout this as well too. But if you get knee surgery, you don't argue with your orthopedic surgeon and say, no, I don't want to do physical therapy. Like, yeah. That's I'm silly. Good. Yeah, I feel great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you just do your physical therapy. Yeah, right. there's something about our industry that makes it difficult, right? Because we go and say, well, we want these things to have, well, I don't want to do those things. You know, uh, that's, you know, that's where, you know, going back to the beginning about intentionality and not doing it for the sake of it. We're not trying to just insert right. you into, you know, Peaks IOP post-treatment. Fine, not our IOP program. We get right. it. Not Colorado Springs, maybe not Denver. Where, wherever you're going, though, you got to tie into something yeah. to continue yeah. to Absolutely. nurture this. Yeah. So please, like, Listen to case management if your loved one is in treatment. And case management, like you said, is it's probably one of the hardest things to do within our setting because of the fragmentation. Mm -hmm. But you have no idea what you're going to get half the time if you're going, which is one of the reasons why we built an internal IOP step-down program, right? Yeah. Because we knew that, that quality is lacking, or at the very least is inconsistent. But at the same time, this step-down process is vital. So please, if your loved one is at Peaks or any other facility, Listen to the case management team, follow an aftercare plan, and take time and be patient with this process because healing takes time, if anything. Yeah. Well, Clint wasn't the host today, but <laughs> he gave us an exit right. and an out there. So um, You're welcome. I'll be angry with him later. Yeah. And everybody's welcome for taking us out there. So yeah. with that, uh, now that I know what I'm doing, finding peaks at peaksrecovery.com, <laughs> questions, thoughts, insights. Case management, Florida Model Care, IOP, the rooms, uh, bring those questions to us. Uh, they're invaluable as far as what we can bring to the table and continue to support and educate family systems on. Um, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the TikToks, Chris Burns, everybody. Yeah. Find us on the TikToks. He's screaming into the mic, having a good time with it, creating a you know, recovery <laughs> journey in real time. It's very exciting. So tune into that. Another host here, of course, if you haven't seen President and Founder Chris Burns on the show, but he's on all the TikToks. So pay special attention to that. Otherwise, I'm going to be a part of, I, the three of us are going to be a part of, we're going to have some medical team members a part of. Um, we got Dr. Stephen Alardi coming out on May 12th, I believe is the date for that. Um, we're going to be doing some Finding Peaks episodes with him. Uh, his book is The Depression Cure. We'll have more ads out about it as well, too. But looking forward to having uh, him on as a guest in the coming days. Again, Dr. Stephen Alardi with The Depression Cure. Uh, and until then and until next time, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon.